Hello and welcome to Connect FCS Ed, where we talk about family and consumer science education. This podcast is geared towards recruiting, maintaining, and supporting all FCS educators. I am your host, Barbara Scully, and I am here to help boldly celebrate with you families and careers. Hello and welcome back to Connect FCS Ed. I am your host, Barbara Scully. Today, I have an amazing educator friend. Her name is Kelsey Harvey. She teaches family consumer science at Grandview High School in Grandview, Washington. I had the pleasure of meeting Kelsey last summer, actually, at the Washington State ACTE conference. It was our summer conference where we happened to be in a breakout session together and Somehow got on the topic of interior design, and that's basically everything else is just kind of happened. So welcome, Kelsey, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Barbara. Yeah, so how are you doing with remote learning as we are in COVID-19? It's been a challenge, but I think it's going pretty well. I've gotten a hold of a lot of my students through different avenues, so through email, Remind, through Google, through Canvas, through Calling. So yeah, it's going pretty well. We start completely online next Monday, so we're getting everything ready this week, and we have conferences this week. So I would say it's going it's going well. Most of our students have internet and a device now, so that is good. Wow. I love hearing how you know, your district sounds really organized. In my district, there's expectations, but yet because not everybody has a device or has internet access at home, you know, it's the equitable issue. So things are looking a little different in my district, but I'm excited that you have, you guys are set up and, you know, learning is going to continue. I was just talking to my CTE director and I was trying to figure out a way if I can create like labs to go for my foods and nutrition class. Unfortunately, that's not going to be possible just because of the same equitable issue. Maybe somebody doesn't have a certain saucepan or, or maybe even doesn't even have an oven, a working oven at home. So, you know, and it's frustrating and being limited, but figuring it out and just keep on, keep on chugging, right? Right. Yep. Well, so what classes do you teach? I teach, so I, well, I am the only one in my department, so I am a singleton. I teach four different classes. I teach child development, interior design, food and nutrition, and then culinary arts. I've also taught independent living in the past as well and baking and pastry arts. Wow, that's really cool. And you are also an FCCLA advisor. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. So that is my fifth or sixth prep, you could call it. That's a lot of work as well. Really, really fun though. We've gone to state last year. We have gone to qualify at state this year. But this year is different with the virtual state leadership conference. I've got about three competitors doing star events and about five students that are doing virtual 
online right currently right now. So it'll be interesting to see what plays out with nationals. Right now, I know national is on for July, but that could change in a moment's notice. So I'm crossing my fingers that we make it to nationals. That's been a goal of ours. So yes, it's been good though. It's been good. That's exciting. I know all sorts of conferences have been getting changed up to virtual PDs or they've just been canceling altogether. So I really hope you guys have that opportunity to continue on and go to nationals. That would be really exciting and for everybody involved. Yes, it's going to be awesome if we do get to go to nationals. That has been the dream for a couple of years. I've been at Grandview now for four years, so I started out really, really small with about five students in FCCLA, and now I have over 36, so yeah. Wow. (laughs) It's been really fun. I've got a really great group, solid group of students, so we've done some fun projects over the years, and we continue to do those same projects every year and then different ones through the community as well, so uh, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. What has been like the favorite project? I would say we do pictures with Santa every December. We've done that three years in a row now. And (laughs) it was fun because um, this past year, my dad played Santa Claus. So (laughs) he had the full suit and beard and everything. He did really well. It's just fun. It's because it's something to get the community involved with and local for them to just be coming to the high school and What's fun is they get to get their picture taken with Santa Claus, and that picture prints out right away onto a four by six photo. And then they move on, if they want to, to the stations where they can make that into an ornament. They can either make a picture ornament or they can make just a regular ornament out of popsicle sticks and different art supplies. So I get my child development students involved with that and my FCCLA students involved with that activity. And I would say that would be probably our most one of our biggest fundraisers, but also one of our biggest community events. So that is really cool. I like how you're able to integrate, you know, your child development class. That's perfect. It streamlines beautifully. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess with the different classes that you have, what are some of your classroom management tricks? Yeah. So for those four classes, I would say for the first couple of days, I go over procedures and I go over classroom expectations and we practice them. And I try to be as less of a robot as possible because I know the students, they don't want me to just talk the whole time. So, you know, I might do a little bit of talking, a little bit of practicing, but then I also have them do a couple of different get to know you activities at the beginning of the year just to kind of create this classroom atmosphere that's positive. I would say I don't give them assigned seating right away uh, either. I wait a couple of days. I kind of make notes in my head about, you know, who's buddy-buddy with who and, you know, who's a class clown or who, you know what I mean? I just kind of take notes. And then by the third, fourth day, I finally have a, a good idea and I create a seating chart. And I would say that helps a lot with the talking and the off task behavior. So that's one. And then the other one is I created a, it's kind of funny, but it's, it's called a pow pass and it stands for potty office water. And it's, it's a pass that they get at the beginning of the trimester and it has 10 pals on it. 
And each time they have to leave the classroom for any of those reasons, they bring that to me. They don't have to ask to leave. They just bring it to me and I initial over it or I stamp it. And they get 10 times in a trimester to leave the, the classroom. And so what it does is it keeps track of who's you know leaving the classroom, but also it's an incentive for them if they don't use it, they get leadership points. So a lot of students, you know, want to, you know, keep their pals because they get leadership points at the end of the trimester for it. So it keeps the students in class learning. It also helps with the disrupt, you know, being disruptive or just constantly wanting to leave and not being where you're supposed to be. It, it tracks all that and keeps that down to a minimum. So I'd say those are two of my probably better classroom management procedures. And then the other thing is, is I teach, you know, a lot of foods classes as well. So I would say entering the classroom is one of the things we practice is, is I don't allow bags in my lab. I have them put them on a shelf when they come in and then they just grab their pencil or grab whatever they need. They grab their laptop and they have a seat and they get started on their entry task. And as soon as they're done with that entry task, let's say it's lab day, I have them get prepped for lab and, uh, that happens pretty quickly. So I would say their entry into the room is one of the things we practice at least a week every day we practice to get that down. And then by the time, you know, the second week rolls around, they're just rolling, you know, with entering the classroom, knowing where to put their things, what to get out, what to start. So I would say that helps with the classroom management as well. In a way, I'm really envious of you being, well, I'm not envious that you're a singleton, but I'm envious that you are also at the same time, because you don't have to do any classroom sharing, because that's something that I have to deal with. I work with, you know, two other amazing, you know, culinary arts or foods and nutrition instructors. And, you know, and we only have one, one lab. So we're constantly moving rooms and trying to figure out, you know, the best schedule. And, you know, because a couple of us, I think we teach the same class at the same time periods. So mm-hmm. it gets interesting. <laughs> so I'm, I'm envious, but at the same time, I'm glad I have a team. For sure. Yeah, that's one thing I, I don't have a FCS team per se around me. I have you and I have some other friends that are FCS teachers that I can talk to, but I don't have that uh, support constantly. I do have a good PLC, career and technical education PLC at my school, but yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons to, I think, both of our situations, so. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So what has been your favorite class? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) We all have a favorite class. (laughs) (laughs) I love all my classes and I love that I get to teach so many different subjects, but I would, if I had to choose, which like hurts me to say this, but like I pro I have to say it would be my culinary arts class. Yeah. Because I'll tell you why. So they're a small class. There are only 14 students. So that makes the learning that much more one-on-one and just, these kids that I have are so amazing. I've had them for two years. I had them in food and nutrition. They passed my class with a seer better. They could be in culinary arts. So right off the bat, they already know me and I know them. So that makes it a little easier. The other thing is they're just really a self-driven group. They can be told once and they do it. They're, they have such a good sense of just 
right and wrong, being just being um, a hard worker and um, knowing what's expected of them. And then they're just a fun group. We were just getting to the fun stuff, you know, catering and cooking methods and all that kind of fun stuff. I would say they cook quite a bit in that class and it's just fun. They are a great group. So I, I miss that class probably a little bit more than the others. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more streamlined is what it is. Right. <laughs> yep. They know what is expected. They know you and they know where everything is. So it's a, that familiarity. That's awesome. You know, in my old district, it was a class that I'm pretty fond of it. It was, uh, it's called life on your own, but it's also like independent living. So we would touch base on basic cooking methods. We do a section on, you know, laundry care, do a section on, you know, financial management and resume building. So it was a all around, you know, awesome class that I really wish that we can in my district now we can incorporate just because it touches just a little bit on all of the areas of family consumer science. I think it would also be a great topic to have for in my district, at least, you know, at my high school, have that class. And then, you know, as a freshman or a sophomore, have those students take it and then which lead into, you know, foods and nutrition, one and then two, and it goes into, you know, childcare basics. Uh, it just it leads into all of the different areas, especially like financial literacy, since in my district, that's a, uh, a graduation requirement. I just think that would be a great segue going into more deeper subjects of family consumer science. Right. It almost seems like it would be a good pathway class, like a beginner class. And then you could have course completers, you know, completing all your different classes after that class. Exactly. Yeah. So what have been your like best practices? Well, I've, been privileged to do two different trainings since I've been at Grandview and I the first one I was selected to go down to San Diego to do an AVID training so there's been that and there's also been this year I was trained in CM which is EL Achieve and it's it's CM it stands for Constructing Meaning so I'll talk a little bit about both of those different trainings just briefly They've helped me a lot in the classroom with different classroom techniques and methods. So one with AVID, I have been doing some different things with them. Uh, I learned about having the students take good notes, and they're called Cornell notes. So during my PowerPoint presentations, which is, you know, maybe once a week, I'll have them take really good notes. And that's really important to refer back to those notes. So I teach them about doing you know, organize notes and um, underlining, highlighting, and referring back. And also just asking the essential questions and making sure at the end they're summarizing their learning. The second thing with AVID is I've had them do gallery walks. So if it was any of my classes really can pertain to a gallery walk, if it was interior design and they were building 3D room, shoebox rooms, then they could do a gallery walk with a writing utensil and maybe a paper that I provided them that has questions or spaces for them to leave comments or even some places the students could walk around the room and critique the other students work. This is a great way that they can do peer-to-peer reviews and critiques and also just give them some real good feedback other than just me. 
you know. And the other one is a jigsaw. So sometimes when there's different types of reading that I need the students to do or different sections of, of reading and it's a lot, I'll break it down into a jigsaw. And so that's kind of cool because what it is is all my classes have groups. And so I number them off. Let's say there's five people at their group. I'll number them off one through five. So that's their home base group. But I'll ask them to stand up, take their writing reading with them and their utensil and stand up and go. If they're number one, they'll go to the group number one. And if they're number two, they'll go to group number two and so on and so forth. And so what that does is that brings them to their expert group. So each group works on their own section of the reading and taking notes and asking questions. And then they will go back to their home group and each take turns teaching what they have learned from their expert group. So then what it does is students, you know, reassemble as a whole class and then share their thoughts and their responses. So you kind of get a whole picture of, of each of the sections of the reading. So that's kind of a, a neat tactic. The other one for CM with constructing meaning, I have learned a lot about structured student talk routines. So we were all gifted with these amazing uh, boxes full of stuff. And a couple of the things in there are really used. So I've used the flip charts and I've used the talking sticks. And the talking sticks are neat because it allows me as the teacher to walk around the room and know who is supposed to be talking. The person with the talking stick is the only one to you know share their thought. Then they pass it around. So... When they're done talking, they place the talking stick on the table. So I know when they're done. It's kind of funny because I'll, st- <laughs> I'll just kind of joke around with them and I'll be like, okay, well, the person that has to start with the talking stick is going to be the person wearing the most holes in their jeans. And they all laugh and they all look at each other and like try to find who's wearing the most holes in their jeans or the person wearing a hat or the person with the longest hair or, you know, I'll just, I'll pick random stuff and they just love it because they just start laughing. <laughs> Uh, The other one that I do is a turn and talk. And I kind of use the talking sticks with the turn and talk sometimes, but not all the time. So a turn and talk is basically they turn to their elbow partner and they share what their thoughts are and what they have learned so far. And, And this is a good tactic to use when you're doing a PowerPoint presentation or when you're lecturing because it kind of breaks up the monotony and then they get to share their learning with the the group. And then I'll use the talking stick sometimes with the turn and talk because then I'll have a designated speaker for their group. And that person will hold the talking stick and share out to the whole class what their ideas were from their group, what they shared with each other. The other thing that I learned with CM is purposeful learning targets. I think I wasn't trained very well when I first started teaching how to make a good learning target. And so one of the things that CM teaches is having three components to your learning target. And those are language, content, and product. A learning target should be measurable. It should be attainable. There should always be something that the students are doing. And so like examples would be students will be able to explain and describe. That's the language. Three different ways that eggs can be cooked. That's the content. By a written response. That's the product. So you always have those three components to your learning target. And I feel like it just really helps you focus and and be specific in your intention of what you want them to learn. And lastly, I would say 
Getting the students to write well is one of the things that we focus on in our in our district and being able to, whether that's, you know, compare and contrast, explain and describe or sequencing, those are just some of the different things that you can do with CM and, and in teaching them. I have them use some of the flip charts and it's just this chart that, you know, you can give one per partner group and they go and they flip the chart to, let's say you're doing a compare and contrast, you know, few spreads to quick reds or something. You can have them turn to that and there's a bunch of different adjectives and words that are used to help you compare and contrast. There's also sentence frames that can be used. So I just find that really helpful when they're doing any of, any type of essay writing or any type of response, you know, quick write. They can use those charts in class. So I would say those are some of my best practices for the trainings that I've been in. I would say one of the things that I've done in the last couple of years, and this isn't part of any type of training, rather, it's just something fun that I do in my classes, is I always do cupcake wars in my foods classes. And I actually have real judges come in, whether that's teachers, paras, uh, any staff that want to help, or any people from the community or my advisory committee. And then they have a, a critique paper that they actually will evaluate the students' cupcakes on. And I usually do it twice a year. I do one for Halloween-themed cupcakes and one for Valentine's-themed cupcakes. And it's fun for the students. They really get into it. They get to do their own theme, and then they get to also present their cupcake like they're on a real, you know, baking show. They have to tell the judges, like, what they made, what's the, you know, the inside, the outside, what's the theme. And they, they really have fun with that. It's good for presenting, you know, getting those skills going. Then the last one, I would say I started having the students make tasty videos with their, with my foods classes. I have them pick a recipe and they record it like a tasty video, you know, from the top down and they edit it. They use technology with this so they can use any type of editing software they want, whether that is iMovie or, or what, you know, they, they get to choose. And they put in, you know, the ingredients of the recipe and what's in the recipe, you know, what are the steps to the recipe and they add music and it's just fun. I love it. And then we get to show all those videos to the rest of the class. That would be some of my best practices, I'd say, for those. And then for child development, I've done the pregnancy simulator. I have the students try it on if they want to. And I also have them take a baby home as an option for a couple days and see what it's like. And then for interior design, I've had them do shoebox rooms, but I've also had them do some online virtual rooms through floorplanner.com. And that's, that's really fun for them to do that. So yeah, I would say all in all, I, I just try to do a lot of projects in my classes and make it fun for them and, and relevant. And yeah, so those are some of my best practices. Oh, I love it. Just because, you know, in for my foods and nutrition class, we do the tasty videos. In foods and nutrition too, we do uh, the cupcake wars. But for Foods and Nutrition 1, we do Chopped. And I switched it up, you know, in second trimester just to make it a little bit more organized. We I really focused on the preparing and planning part, and which I believe set my students up for the success that they achieved. Because I went into 
our pantry and prep area. And I located, and it, well, and also it correlates with, you know, nutrition. So we were going through the six essential nutrients at the same time. So went into the pantry and I went through everything that we had and I organized it, you know, with vitamins, minerals, water, protein, dairy. What else am I missing? That was five. Vegetables. Vegetables. Yeah. So went off. uh, So I categorized everything that I had on hand. And then on my PowerPoint, I put up a grid of all the six essential nutrients and where everything was kept, what all the ingredients that we had fell under. And then I had students get into their groups. I let them decide, you know, who their cooking group was going to be for this. But I told them, I go, I want you guys to really figure out who is going to be in your group that you guys want, but is also going to make you guys successful. You know, this is your part of your final. And so really take heart to this. And they did. They, they, (laughs) they were, they were going around and picking each other and saying, you know, no, I don't want you in my group because X, Y, Z, but I think you would be really good in this group. You know, they were really helping each other out. And then they see all the ingredients that they have, but within their group, they then had to come up with three different types of recipes that they could use because what if a certain ingredient ran out? So they had to have a backup. So we worked on that for about three to four days, you know, just that planning process, you know, really go diving deep into creating a recipe and then talking about, you know, mise en place and plating presentation is everything. So they, they got really into it. And, and then I had judges from, you know, various colleagues came in and they judged everybody's, you know, plate and they gave me the rubrics back. And I, oh my gosh, I had, I had everybody on such pins and needles because I told them, I go, I'll let everybody know by Friday. Well, (laughs) I wasn't ready by Friday. (laughs) And oh, you should have heard the groans (laughs) of like disappointment. They're like, can't you just, just tell us who won? I go, nope, (laughs) I'm not ready. And so then Monday morning, I, um, because over the weekend, I then went to Dutch Brothers, which everybody, that's what everybody wanted. And I bought, you know, gift cards out of my own personal money. And I bought gift cards for each, oh gosh, for the group that won. So it was, there's four individuals in a group. So that'd be 20 bucks. Right. But I would give them their own gift card for their place. And so Monday, I then put everybody's, you know, I put all the, I t- and I took pictures of each of the plated dishes that they made. And I had all of the dishes up on the PowerPoint. And then for that, for that class period, it was just there are six dishes that were up there. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, through the animation slide, the dish that one would be circled. And you should have heard like, the excitement everybody had and, you know, cheering each other on. And then, you know, they came up and I give them their gift cards and they were like all spug and 
And I got a picture of them holding a trophy that, you know, and they each had a sign that said winner. <laughs> so really made everybody feel, feel <laughs> made that group feel special. And then you'd also hear a little side groans, you know, in the, the peanut gallery going, oh, we should have won. It's like, well, it wasn't up to me. This is what the judges said. And, you know, it was passed around. And so, but it was, it was a lot of fun, but it, it's a it was a lot of work on the the back end, but oh my gosh, it's completely worth it. I love that. Well, I, you just made me think of another practice too that I do with my culinary arts students is I have them cater as much as possible. So different things that go on throughout the year, I let them get experience with cooking food and presenting it to the public because they all have their food handler cards, and I want them to be able to practice creating food for other people. And so one of the things that my culinary students actually just did before this whole quarantine thing was they got to appreciate all of the paras, this, you know, custodial staff, the, all the classified staff at our high school for classified staff week. And so one of the days they made, which was just really cool. One of the days they, they acted like they worked at Subway and we had a big, you know, table set up where, you know, it was just like if you work at Subway and people come in and order their sandwich and we had somebody working the bread, we had somebody working the condiment, we had somebody working the the lettuce and the onions and tomato, you know, you just, and then the drinks and the cookies. And we just had such a great time doing that. And I think the kids really appreciated it. And then the other thing is we have my culinary students do some catering events at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year typically for my CTE advisory committee. And when we all get together for our CTE meetings, that's about 30 people that they're catering for. But I also let them choose what is the cuisine that they want to make. So we've done that for a couple of years now where they have done you know, Italian food, they've done all American food, they've done some different Mexican food, they've done, what was the other one? Asian food. So different cuisines around the world. And that's just really fun. So they love doing that. And I, I, I guess I thought of that just because when you were mentioning how, you know, you reward your students and, you know, you announce who the winners are, and then they kind of all take part in that. I think that there's a big connection there with students when they can really own their own learning and get really excited about it, you know? And so I think when you make it relevant to them and, and, there's just a little bit of pressure on them, you know, to perform well. I think that they rise to the occasion, just like, you know, your students did. And, and then when you reward them and they feel so good about it, I think with my culinary students, they also take pride in ownership of their learning when they're actually taking what they're learning and applying it to real life, you know, cooking for other people. That's a big step. That's something that they're going to be critiqued on, not just from me, but from people in the community or people in the school. Yeah, I, I think we have, we have a party. I think we have a party after we're like, good job. You know, we have like ice cream or pizza or, or to, you know, I always feed them afterwards too. So, you know, all that hard work that they put in, sometimes these catering events can last for eight hours, you know, and they're working after school and. I always make sure they get fed well and and rewarded as well. And I think that they appreciate that a lot. I think that makes the learning really fun and interesting. I absolutely agree with you because, you know, it's the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That 
we've created the foundation and we've implemented these stepping stones that they don't even realize that they are, you know, they're rising to. But when you feed your students because you are proud of the work that they have done, they're getting that personal satisfaction of like, oh my gosh, she thinks I did an amazing job. And, you know, this is, this is that reward. I think that's, that's huge. Yeah, I love, I love feeding my students because that's, that's something that I do (laughs) that I have a lot of fun with. And my students also know that I like to feed them because we'll be playing Kahoot games in class and I throw candy at them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) every time, every time they, when it, the question pops up and then, you know, I see who the first name is on the leaderboard, I throw that piece of candy to them. But what I don't do is you're always going to have those the same students up on the the leaderboard. I always after those people have had, you know, their one piece of candy, I then throw it at somebody who I know hasn't received something. So I really try really hard to make sure that all of my students get a piece of candy by the end of the Kahoot game, because, you know, yeah, it could be discouraging, but. I want them to continue to play because I'm gathering their, you know, that information of what they know. They might not be quick on the thumb draw when it comes to, you know, submitting the answer, but they do know it and I want to see it. Right. One of the things I agree with you on that is, is making sure you're being equitable to, you know, all students. And, and, you know, I'm a big person on reward. Like you need to work hard for your reward, you know? And so I think that that's just what life is all about. I mean, I tell my students all the time, it's a competitive world out there. You know, sometimes there's a lot of people fighting for the same job and you really got to stand out. What are you going to do? Are you going to work hard? Are you going to, you know? And so I tell them that whenever they're doing something where they got to perform or, you know, have a quiz or whatever, just try your very best. And that's what matters. To be equitable, sometimes I'll do two Kahoot games. I'll do one as a group first where they work with their group and then I'll reward that group and then I'll do some individual Kahoots just to kind of see who is really standing out as well. So I think the group thing, the group Kahoots, they really get into it and they get competitive against the other groups and they love it, you know? So they enjoy that. And, and not all the time they're going to know the answer individually. So when they work with a group, you know, they sometimes learn a little bit more. And so, yeah. How do you, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm curious, how do you do the group cahoots? You can have them use one computer or one device or whatever, and you just have them log on. And as a group, they have... You can adjust the time that the question is up there on the screen for. And I usually do like 30 seconds of discussion. So I'll change it from like a 10 second question to a 30 second question. And they get 30 seconds to discuss it with their group, what they think the answer is. And so that one person that has the device is the person that is pressing the answer, but they all agree upon it. So basically it's the same thing as individual, but you're just using one device and one group nickname. I usually have them come up with some funny nickname or whatever, or their favorite food nickname or whatever, uh, if it's a food class. So basically that's how I run the group. 
Oh, I love it. I'm I'm going to use that strategy moving forward into next school year. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great tactic. Yep. Yeah, it is. No, thank you for sharing that because I hadn't even thought of that. So you opened my eyes on, on that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I could help. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you from the rest of your day. I know you have conferences and all sorts of things that you're going to be gearing up to, you know, prepare and do. So thank you for joining me today. And I hope that you could join me on another time. I would love to, Barbara. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. So yeah. I hope to do this soon. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining me today at Connect FCS Ed. In this podcast, we boldly celebrate families and careers by providing inspiration, support, and resources for teachers, students, and families. If you could do me a quick favor, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. My mission is to get this out in front of as many people as possible to help educate and inform the community that home economics is alive and well. Each week, I will choose one special person to win some Connect FCS Ed swag. So be sure to add your name to the review, and I will reach out to you if you're the winner. Thanks again for spending your time with me today, and be sure to visit me at fcspodcast.com for past episodes and more gifts to help spread the word that family and consumer science is today's home economics.